You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is epic, amazing episode 78 of the Apple Insider Podcast, where we talk about all things Apple, Mac, iPhone, and iPad and Apple Watch related. Joining me is our stellar editor-in-chief, Neil Hughes. Hey, Victor. How's it going? It's am- Hey, you celebrated a birthday yesterday, didn't you? I did. I'm getting old. That's not the correct reaction, right? <laughs> the correct reaction is, wee. It was fine. I uh, took the day off and uh, relaxed and saw the new Ghostbusters movie. So there you go. Very exciting birthday. Hey, that movie was good. I liked it. Uh, I, I know the Ghost Bros. Uh, oh, forget that. That was movie was good. The weird misogynistic thing. These people. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to talk about that. I want to say how good it was. <laughs> No, the movie was excellent. I just I find it funny people complaining about that reboot, and they'll go see the new Batman when it comes out. Uh, no, did you like all the cameos in the Ghostbusters movie? Uh, they were well done. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, uh, I, I really liked it. And where they, was, where, where was, was Rick Moranis? Rick Moranis has retired from acting. Um, his wife died, and uh, he kind of gave up on the profession, so... Uh, that's why you didn't see him. But they did do a nice uh, – I don't know if you noticed Harold Ramis was in the background as a, a bust. Obviously, he, he died a few years ago. Um, yeah. But they had a uh, statue of him in one of the scenes at the uh, university where one of the characters worked. And I thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah, that was a good one. I, and and uh, Janine was now playing the, uh, the the concierge at the hotel. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun movie. I mean it, it was good. It, it was what it needed to be. Um you know, of course, if you don't like women or something, maybe you won't. No, like no, movie, no, but. no, 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 no. It was a good movie. <laughs> People are just bizarre. Just, it was a good movie. It was. I liked it. That's all we need to say. Yep. Cool. So I want to start off by letting our listeners know that we have yet another giveaway. So you can win a Buzz 2-in-1 cable, a Reload 5 HP battery, and an MUV or a Move USB world adapter from Scross whose uh, slogan is Adapt to the World. So Scross is partnering with Apple Insider this week to give readers a chance to win one in five accessory bundles containing a Buzz 2 and alarm cable, a reload smartphone charging solution, and a two-pole MUV USB adapter. So what this is, is it looks like there's a, a really cool cable that's both a micro-USB and lightning connector cable, so you can use it with your micro-USB devices if you have them, and of course your Apple gadgets. Uh, and What's interesting about it is that it has an alarm sound. So when a device is disconnected from the cable, if, if you happen to leave your phone charging somewhere and someone tries to steal your phone, it will make noise. Also included the bundle is a Reload 5 HP, which is a smartphone battery charger, which can provide a two times charge to the phone or extra power to a tablet, camera, or a portable game console on a single charge. And it's got twin USB ports to charge two devices at the same time. And in addition to all of that... Five winners will get the World Adapter, which is a travel adapter. It's just one giant thing that has USB ports and a plugs that you, you slide out using little sliders to go into the foreign outlets, and then one giant outlet port on the other side that, uh, that lets you plug in whatever your device may be from whichever country you may be in. Now, this is, of course, open to U.S. residents. No purchase is necessary. And please enter on our website by midnight Eastern, July 27th. Winners will be announced on the 28th. And I will go ahead and put that link in the show notes. It's kind of a cool bundle. Yeah, neat. Now, I know you like your Apple Watch. I do. And you've been digging it, especially on WatchOS 3, right? I have, yes. Um, it uh, is a big improvement in using the device. So why are the watch share, why is Apple's watch share dropping? 
Uh, well, I mean, you can't Why? really. Well, I mean, these these surveys that are conducted, I don't really know what the secret sauce is behind it uh, in terms of, uh, you know, there, there's shipped versus sold. Uh, there's market share. There's all kinds of factors at play here. And the truth is we don't know how many watches Apple is selling because they haven't announced it. Uh, so I don't read too much into these things. Um, they are uh, interesting uh, from a business perspective, but there are a lot of uh, device manufacturers who just flood the market by shipping and maybe not even selling and having these things sit on store shelves for a while. Uh, the general trend of this uh, uh, this uh, these estimates that you're citing here uh, is that the overall uh, wearables market is not uh, growing uh, at the pace of, say, you know, the way that the, ta- the tablet market grew when the iPad was first introduced. Mm-hmm. So there's still a question of the appeal of these devices, how big of a market it is, um, and what uh, what kind of growth potential Apple will see for the next few years. Until Apple announces sales, though, we really don't know. Okay, so to briefly summarize all of the data that I actually skipped over. So the, the news is that 1.6 million Apple Watches were shipped during the June quarter, mm-hmm. according to estimates. So there's your, your fun, fuzzy data that we don't actually know. Right. Uh, the company's market share slipped from 72% a year ago to 47%, research from IDC said. Now, of course, that's, that's they said Apple didn't announce. So again, fuzzy data. Um, all of the other competitors, Samsung, Lenovo, LG, and Garmin, saw unit increases – uh, but again, that's shipped units, we think, not sold through units. Yeah, and you know, it, it's strange for Apple, too, because they sell so much of their stuff directly through their website and through um, uh, their retail stores that uh, in order to get channel data you know, to do these surveys, is Apple giving them data for this? Probably not. So are they getting it through resellers like you know, Best Buy selling watches and stuff like that? Well, how many people that are going to buy an Apple watch are going to go to Best Buy versus going to the Apple store? There yeah. are so many flaws in, this, in these estimates and in the way that they're calculated that it's hard to put too much stock that's, in it. That's actually a very good question because NPD is, is one of the organizations that pretty much has a lock on all of the registered data in the country. Right. And so it's a good question. We ought to ring up NPD and ask them if they have registered data from Apple stores, from Apple retail. Yeah, I don't know uh, how that works. NPD is a funny thing, too, where uh, uh, there are some of these uh, surveys like Consumer Intelligence Research Partners is a big one as well. They had a thing out this week on the iPhone SE having like 17% share of shipped units in the U.S. It's based on a survey of 500 people. It's not exactly the most scientific. Uh, Certainly there is some some science to it, but, uh, you know. Uh, but it's funny because Apple will sometimes cite NPD or CIRP or some of these statistics and numbers that come out when it makes them look good. And then when it doesn't make them look good, they dismiss it. So you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater is the way that I would put it. Um, you, NPD and uh, these types of surveys that come out are interesting and hopefully you know are somewhat accurate. And as you piece them together, you can get a better picture of what's going on. But at the same time, uh, you can't you can't count on them to be absolutely reliable because the methods are by nature flawed. It's like Nielsen rating. It's like, who do you know the Nielsen box? And that well, is why TiVo was such a hot thing because they could just use TiVo data. Right. Uh, and, and so now they'll do, um, 
uh, in TV ratings, they do plus seven, meaning uh, who watched it live and then watched it on DVR within the last, uh, seven days after it aired. Uh, but, you know, TV ratings by their nature are just so flawed because so few people have a Nielsen box, they can't really track it accurately. And so, you know, if one person leaves their TV on while they're, while they're uh, uh, you know, cooking dinner or whatever, that could potentially make or break a television series in terms of its ratings and whether they awesome. keep it on the air. It's really bizarre. The, the methodology is very flawed for all this stuff. So, so two things. One is, is the speculation is that if these numbers are anyway halfway accurate, that, that the speculation is that people are waiting until a second watch comes along with the release of watchOS 3. Well, that wouldn't be the most shocking thing, would it? I mean, <laughs> Apple does announce their quarterly iPhone sales, and you can see seasonal trends based on the length of the, the product life when it's out there. The and longer I have a standing bet on what that hardware looks like, so we'll just leave it at that. Um, right. The, the other thing is, so I had a, a listener question, and the listener question was, you know, he he was following up on the idea from last week where we talked about GPS in in the possible Apple Watch, and uh, you know he was he was kind of frustrated. He was saying, "Why do these fitness watches like the the Garmin and some of these others that have GPS in them? Why are they able to go for days where the Apple Watch's battery is is day day and a half?" Are you asking me? I, I can put it to you, and then I can tell you the answer I gave him. <laughs> uh, I mean, the reason that some of them last longer is because of different types of technology. So, for example, you look at a, uh, a Fitbit or a Pebble or something like that, and they tend to have uh, black and white or non-LCD, OLED-type screens. They tend to be lower-power devices with more limited functionality. You know, we talked a little bit last week about how Pebble is going to launch a puck to add LTE connectivity to their watch uh, by making it a separate device that can stream music and do all that. They don't have to do the hardware processing and data handling on the watch itself, which allows it to have five, seven, ten days of uptime. Right, but that's kind of dodging the whole Garmin question, right? The whole TomTom and Garmin where they have days with GPS running? Well, yeah, but they're not... It's not it's not the exactly the same type of GPS that you're using on your phone and it's also not doing all the other things that your watch will do. Okay. So the answer that I gave this this poor soul, this poor conflicted person, was that and, and really I can sense that he's conflicted because he wants to have that kind of performance and he can't decide if he's gonna get a Garmin or, or continue with his Apple Watch. Right. But um was as I was I was comparing it to Remember that we had smartphones before we had an iPhone, and we had Nokias and things like this, and you could get seven days out of a Nokia. And then we got the iPhone, and we got a much more powerful phone and a much more interesting and more engaging phone, but we also got reduced battery life as a byproduct. Right. You know, and, and I was thinking about this in the car when I was driving a little while ago, that, that you know, in the old days, we had Palm Pilots and we had um, Apple Newtons that were powered by, by AAAs and could go for a week or more or even a month sometimes on on triple a's and were completely usable devices but they were doing even though they functionally were doing a lot for us they were doing a lot less than we do today right you know Mm -hmm. being able to do handwriting recognition is no small task but it's it's certainly underpowered compared to what we have now you know 33 megahertz processor compared to you know the 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 huge amount that we get out of an iphone Mm -hmm. or an apple watch for that matter Right. But I mean, part of it, too, is this, you know, we're talking about GPS. 
I'm at the Garbin website right now, and one of their high ends, the Forerunner 735 XT. Whoever names these products needs to be shot. Anyhow, yes. Well, they, they um, have a well. Everything Vivo is is another example of Garmin naming, right? Vivo Fit, Vivo Active, Vivo something. I don't know. But here's one of their devices with a color screen, all the kind of stuff that you would expect from a more modern device. Battery life is up to 24 hours in ultra track mode without the heart rate monitor, up to 14 hours in activity mode with GPS and optical heart rate. Now, if you just want to use it in watch mode, you get 11 days. But if you want to do anything fitness-focused with it or anything GPS, your battery life goes out the window. I mean, that, and okay. So I want to see what the Phoenix 3 looks like for this. Here's the uh, Forerunner. is a good example. The, the Forerunner 735 is a good example. The Forerunner 25, one of their lower-end models. Here again, battery life. Uh, for the small model, it gives you eight weeks in watch mode. But guess how much you get in training mode with GPS? You get eight hours. That's it. Okay. So the Phoenix 3, which is a high-end expensive device, right? The Phoenix 3 HR is a $600 device. And actually, we reviewed it on our site a couple weeks ago. Um, So that is 40 hours in ultra-track mode, 16 hours or up to 16 hours in GPS training mode, and up to two weeks in smartwatch mode with 24-7 heart rate monitoring. The the answer to the question as to why they get long battery life and still track stuff is because they're not using GPS. They turn off the features. They are guesstimating how many steps you take, just like a Fitbit is, just like a pedometer would. And then people confuse that and think that it's doing GPS all the time. But the truth is, it only does GPS when you actively turn it on for a fitness-focused mode. And when you turn on GPS, the battery life is abysmal. It won't get you through a full day. Right, but presumably you're not going hardcore on this this exercise activity for a full day either you're going for an hour okay but let's say that you go to work and then you go to the gym afterwards you've been wearing your watch all day you haven't had a chance to charge it now you you're lucky if you can get through that hour of a workout so or two you, hours of well workout. you you know i think what will happen is you'll get through it but still have to charge the next day right 40 hours in ultra track mode 16 hours in gps mode so if you're right. at 40 hours you have your 20 you've got your 10 12 hour business day and then you go to your your gym afterwards and you burn an hour in in high consumption mode right so you still get through it and you just don't really think about the fact that you're burning battery that fast right i mean this is just the the reality of a product like this um it's just the way that it works when you turn on gps your battery life is going to be significantly reduced and so if apple were to release an apple watch this year with a gps edition would certainly be a great addition but for some people that maybe like to start off the day with an hour hour and a half run or something like that and then go to work afterwards if they don't have an ch- opportunity to charge or rejuice their phone it, or their watch that might be a problem for battery life and these are the trade-offs that you have so you know to answer the question of why are these other devices getting better battery life well, they they're, aren't. they're not when they're doing the actual functions of the Apple Watch. Now, when they just run in watch mode, yeah, it'll run up to eight weeks. That's that's great, but that's not doing anything that an Apple Watch is doing at that point other than telling time. Thank you. And that answers our listener's question. And another thing that people don't realize is uh, well, I used to have a uh, – I, I reviewed a uh, uh, Microsoft Band. And part of the problem with uh, having GPS without a cellular radio is the GPS takes four or five, sometimes longer minutes to get a GPS lock, to get a signal. And so uh, that creates a problem where I would go out for a run with my Microsoft Band and I would – 
get 10 minutes into my run and still don't have a GPS signal, and so it was estimating my distance. Uh, we, what you need is a cellular radio and some Wi-Fi in the device as well to triangulate your location before it can get a lock on GPS, which allows it to do it more quickly, which is what your phone does. The problem is when you add GPS and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and LTE to a wearable device on your wrist, your battery life continues to go down, 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 down. Yep. So let's let's move away from this topic. Let's let's drift apart from this one a little bit and talk about the public betas because we got the second public betas of iOS 10, macOS Sierra, and third developer betas. Go on, tell me more. Uh, don't install it. Uh, wait for it to be released uh, and finalized. It's very you, buggy. You always say that. Well, I'm dealing with it, and it's been uh, beta three is worse than beta two in terms of bugs. I can't complain about it because it's beta software, and that's to be expected. I signed up for this. I know what I'm getting into. But if you are an average listener and you uh, have to use your phone every day and you don't want buggy software, don't install it because beta three is worse than beta two. It's been for me. It's been crashing. I had to do restarts. I had to reset my passcode on my watch. Uh, I had to do all kinds of stuff. Uh, to get it working properly, it's very buggy and not ready for prime time. Okay, so what does the new Sierra build include? Do you know? Uh, I, I, it's bug fixes, and you know, as they prep for release, I don't think they added anything new in this build. They, it, it's got changes to Apple Pay and Back to My Mac, some of the core engine libraries, installer routines, Mail, Safari, and Siri. Right. I mean, they're just they're working, they're just improving the stuff that they're going to include as they've already. Yeah, done. they've already announced all new features in all the operating systems. I don't think there are going to be any surprises until uh, new hardware is announced. That's when you're really yeah. going to see. I mean, oh, so what happens? Hidden. What what happens is that you know developers are trying to develop against this so that when the final release comes, that their apps will be ready the same day. Right. And right. what happens is is that as Apple progresses along down the path they will sometimes make changes, not just necessarily bug fixes. You know, sometimes you'll get things that say, uh, in this build, this feature isn't working. Sorry, never mind. Wait for the next build. But for, for other things, they'll say, you know, we got partway down this path and we changed how this works. It works this way now. And so developers who are trying to develop against this have to go in and redo their stuff to keep parity. Yeah, some things get changed and tweaked. You know, there's little changes in terms of like icons and colors might change and the way some things work. New options get added, like the latest uh, beta three for iOS 10 um, gives you the ability to have the phone unlock like it did in iOS 9 with Touch ID as opposed to having to press the, the button to unlock the phone. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it's um, uh, little little changes and tweaks are coming. One, one thing that's interesting is there is no Hey Siri uh, in Sierra, uh, and it's not known whether that uh, hands-free capability is going to be added to it prior to release or if that's something that Apple is just not planning on doing. Well, one of the, the issues is that if it were there, you could punk people the same way that you can punk people with the Alexa, for example. Well, yes. However, uh, with iOS 9, um, and presumably they could do this on a Mac as well, you now have a uh, voice fingerprint where it recognizes only your uh, voice, and so therefore only your phone will respond to your commands. In theory. That, that, in theory, is the important part. Uh, maybe they know something we don't, or almost certainly they know something we don't. But, you know, you, you and I know how many times that, that people have been punked by other people on the other end of a voice conference saying, hey, Alexa, and, and someone else's speaker starting to play stuff. Right, yeah. I, I would like to see that functionality, the hands-free Hey Siri, come to the Mac. I think it would be a great opportunity to potentially build something um, or have, use your Mac for something to have a better home automation features uh, potentially 
way than you can have with the limited microphone and stuff on your iPad or your iPhone. I, I know where you're going with this. I know exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking you'd get a Mac Mini and a good microphone and and shout Hey Siri to it to turn off all your HomeKit stuff. That would be excellent. I know exactly. Your cat's going there in the background again. Yeah, I can't really. She's so cute. <laughs> She's You've got the best cat. So it's important to note for all of you out there in listener land that are, are daring enough to try betas to note that tvOS and watchOS are not included in the public beta program. Nope. Uh, it's just Sierra and, um, and iOS 10. But you found another cool thing in iOS 10. You know, have you ever dropped your phone in the water? Uh, thankfully, no, I have not. I have. I, I once fell into the River Thames in England and uh, and my phone was in my pocket when that happened. Jeez. And um, there was no question that it was liquid damaged. It uh, it revived itself after about a week. It was uh, it, it just drying out without Put any it in charge. Rice. No, you know, I didn't. Um, and, and that's an interesting point is everyone says, put your phone in rice. And that is not the correct answer. The best answer is if you ever get a product or even sometimes uh, packaged food and it comes with a little packet of silica gel, Mm-hmm. Save those little packets of silica gel, and if your phone gets wet, put it in a box or a bag with all of that silica gel, and that will soak up the moisture. Just don't use a blow dryer on it. No, well, <laughs> blow dryers introduce heat. You could you could do an air compressor or something like that. You could do a can of compressed air, but um, and, and in fact, when I did it, I uh, I took the SIM card out and I blew through all the ports to try and get water out, and a lot of water did come out. Uh, and after about a week's worth of of just letting it sit, it it came back alive, kind of, to the point where I was able to go into the Apple Store and talk to them, and they helped me out. Well, and and a lot of people don't realize that the iPhone 6s is actually very water resistant, not necessarily waterproof. Uh, it's just that Apple chooses not to advertise that fact uh, because I guess they don't want people testing How it out. How many by fools bent their iPhone 6 in the first couple of days intentionally, right. and then went to Apple and tried to get warranty service? Right. They're not going to tell anyone that it's water resistant because that'll be the first thing that happens is everyone dunks their phone and then goes and tries to get a replacement. There's no need to advertise it. It's one of those silent features that you can include that's nice to have but doesn't necessarily need to be known. You should, yeah, so th- regardless, you shouldn't be putting your phone under any water. Uh, I know Samsung advertises that you can do that with your phone and washing it off or whatever, but that, that's not really a good idea. Yeah, and, and actually I think it was Consumer Reports found that at least one of those active models from Samsung was not able to live up to their claims. Right. So there is that. But importantly, a new feature discovered in iOS 10 betas warns when liquid is detected in a lightning port. So if, if you uh, have water in your lightning port, it says disconnect the lightning accessory. Liquid's been detected in the connector. Protect your phone, disconnect this accessory, and allow the connector to dry. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's kind of neat. Of course, if you drop your phone into a bucket of water, it's, it's not going to you know, be too too fast for that kind of thing but if you've just got water in the liquid in the lightning connector port and a lot of nice. the, a lot of the water damage that comes to people it's done accidentally like you know they're working out and sweating or whatever and then all of a sudden you got a dead phone um so ha- that warning for i mean obviously if you drop your phone in the toilet or something you're going to know that you did it but if you uh maybe have some moisture that gets in there and you don't realize it, it's a good way to potentially prevent breaking your phone there you go now we've seen a video that's been circulating Right there, there are these dummy iPhone Seven models showing up in videos. Right, right. 
And so far, they, they look like pretty much what the rumors suggest they look like with the new antenna lines and so forth. And they're showing up in, in the colors that we're nor- used to seeing, space gray, gold, and pink. Yeah, the rumor is that the space gray is going to be darker. The, the problem with a lot of these leaks that come out um, is um, there was a couple videos this week, but they never showed the front of the phone. They only showed the back case. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out that uh, a lot of these ones that are being photographed and, and videos are taken of them and stuff are uh, not actually from Foxconn or anything like that, not not Apple products. They somebody Some company is basically taking the schematic design leaked for the next iPhone, and they're making their own knockoff cases and parts and then selling them at a profit. Yeah. So in my past experience working with manufacturers um, – after a phone was released, not before, they would tend to send me parts to show that they were skilled and that their manufacturing was of good quality, enough quality that they could make replacement parts. Mm-hmm. You know, that they could make a, a machined iPad back, for example, and that it was as good as the machined iPad back that was coming from the, the nominated factory that Apple was using. And, um, and that was kind of cool. But seeing these dummy phones beforehand doesn't really tell us anything. No, it, it could be based on a fake uh, design schematic that Apple put out. Uh, and certainly the colors um, are something that you can't really necessarily uh, know uh, until they announce it. The expectation is that the new one might have a slightly darker shade to it. Uh, and Apple likes to do little things like that to make it so that uh, uh, it stands out from the previous years. So, you know, for example, if you have a rose gold uh, iPhone, then you know that you have a newer one versus the older one. You couldn't get it in rose gold. So um, I, I would imagine that they like to change up the colors and do fresh things like that. And I, I would not be surprised if you see some tweaks to the colors on this year's models when they come out in September. Cool. Well, you know I'll be getting one. I expect you'll be getting one too, even though you like the SE. Yeah, I I mean, I'll have to get it and review it for work and stuff. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a good phone, but, uh, you know, everything that's coming out right now is kind of the leaks. Uh, people are not super uh, enthusiastic, I would say, about the new phone just because it's supposed to look largely the same. But They're all wrong. Until, until they announce the phone, um, I will hold off my potential disappointment. Uh, I would like to... First of all, there's nothing to be disappointed about when the phone looks very similar to the past phone. And and actually, in some ways, this can be a really good thing. I, I just got to put this out here. So r- remember when we had the iPhone 4 and the 4S was coming and there was a rumor at the time that said that it was actually going to be a different shape. And people were supremely disappointed that it was the same. And and first of all, they were dumb to have thought that it was going to be different, but that's hindsight, never mind. The second thing is that, look, there's some utility in this, right? All of your accessories, all of your lightning stuff, all of your stuff that's meant for about that size and form factor, your cases and things like this, are more or less compatible. And if you rush to have it changed, then it means buying all new accessories all the way down. It also means that you have to wait while manufacturers tool up for all these new accessories all the way down. So you're doing yourself a disservice by insisting that it must be a different shape when what you really want, and I'm telling you what you want, <laughs> when you what you really want is for it to do something more for you, right? That's what's important is does this thing do more for me than the one that I had yesterday did? That's what's cool. The fact that it looks different, okay, I get it. But you're you're cutting yourself off at the knees. You're crippling yourself unnecessarily by insisting that it be new and that everything else be also new and you have to wait for it. 
Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, one of the interesting things, too, is last year when the iPhone success was coming out, all the rumors about it, we kind of knew what to expect. Uh, we knew what it was going to look like. We knew basically everything before it was announced. Um, I guess the biggest thing was instead of it being called Force Touch, they rebranded it to 3D Touch. But we knew it was going to have a pressure-sensitive screen. We, we knew all that stuff. So mm -hmm. coming into this year's phone, we don't really have some sort of big – uh, must-have feature that has leaked uh, or that is known. Um, dual camera. If Well, on the high-end one, yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, the dual camera, maybe it'll introduce optical zoom or something like that, which would be great. Um, but I don't really uh, – I don't know what to expect at this point. And so anybody who is preemptively disappointed uh, is being stupid because let's wait and see what they announce. They may have a trick up their sleeve or two. It, it could have wide color in it. It could have true tone, which would disappoint certain listeners. <laughs> Uh, could be awesome. It could have a, a much improved display, yes. Um, and uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I I, I think uh, one of the big things too is how do they do? How do they present the value proposition of getting rid of the headphone jack? Because as I've said before, um, and I I know some people have commented <laughs> they don't like uh, my take on this, but I think it's going to be a PR problem for apple i think that they removing the headphone jack is going to be the butt of no, jokes on late night tv and you're going to hear people complain about it and all that and so well, of course it will but phil will get up and say can't innovate my ass and it'll bubble you over <laughs> but i i am curious to see how they present it and what they offer as the value proposition the justification for getting rid of the port um and presumably you know introducing new headphones lightning connected headphones alongside ditching the headphone port um, that's, that's, the, I think going to be the most interesting thing for me as we watch, uh, this phone, uh, get announced. Hey, I, I got some awesome Bluetooth headphones in. Yeah. I did. I told you about this a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the, the decibels guys that I met at CES, um, I had the molds of my, my ears from CES, but they, they sent me a fresh set that I can mold again to, you know, mold fresh ones. And, uh, and the, the ones that they sent me were Bluetooth. Oh, that's cool. So it's just a very short uh, cable between the two ears with a small lump for a battery and a small lump for the volume up and down and play control. And they're the same size lumps. And uh, they're really nice. I have a set of uh, completely wireless Bluetooth earbuds coming uh, in a few weeks. I don't remember what the brand is. I think it, I don't even think it's a product yet. I think it's a Kickstarter or something, but they're, sent, they're sending it to me to test out and review. There are a couple of those, right, where the earpieces are completely wireless. Yeah, the the biggest one is the Bragi Dash or Braggy. I don't know. Braggy, Braggy. Braggy yes. Um, the the Braggy Dash is uh, uh, one of the more popular ones out there, and I, I believe they are actually shipping now. Um, they but, are, and and the cool thing about them is that they have um, they have a heart rate sensor in the earpiece, so it becomes a health product as well. Right, and a battery life of fifteen minutes probably. Now, now. <laughs> Tut tut. Let's not go there. Let's go ahead and get a sample in before we do that. I, I would love to test it. I'm not a big fan of earbuds. Uh, I find them uncomfortable and they tend to fall out of my ear, but I think uh, the completely wireless nature of it is pretty neat. Well, the, the decibels ones, because they mold to your ear, don't fall out of your ear and they are comfortable. Mm -hmm. So there is that going for them. The uh, the completely wireless thing, the first time I ever saw the completely wireless earbud was Etymotics way back in 2008 or 2009. Etymotic had some. And you know, where today's are very much, you don't see radios, you don't see circuit boards or anything hanging off the end of the, the, the earpiece. The old, old etymotic ones that were completely wireless had a, a rectangle 
which was where the uh, the battery and all of the wireless and everything else was, basically hanging off the end of your earbud. Mm-hmm. So all of these things get better, including the battery life. Oh, in time. They all get better. I mean, if, if we didn't have improving battery life, then we wouldn't be able to have wondrous things like electric cars. Well, I mean, arguably, the battery life is not really improved on the iPhone. Um, well, it, it, it has, but we keep throwing more processor and more RAM and stuff at it. Right. Right? So, so it keeps improving, and then we keep crippling it back to, to add more stuff. Right. So... But, you know, battery life in electric cars is an important thing. And I'm talking about electric cars. The Apple car rollout, because we haven't talked about that topic in forever, seems to be delayed until 2021 because of obstacles in Project Titan. Now, this is a report that that came from uh, three people who formerly worked on Apple's Siri team but now work on Titan, a source called The Information Quoted sources as saying that while the company was aiming for a 2020 rollout, problems have forced a delay, including the departure of one-time Titan leader Steve Zadesky. So, basically, these these guys were developing software to capture the huge amounts of data that the Apple cars will generate, and you know they were involved in in buying and configuring servers for that and all of this stuff. And and basically, they'll use that data, which is what everyone does when they're talking about cars, is, is gathering that data to talk about human behavior and how to do autonomous driving properly. One of the things that I hear and see a lot from people who criticize uh, the rumor mill and, and what we do uh, is they always get angry when uh, something is, quote unquote, delayed when it never actually has been announced. How can you delay a product is that. That, that is not real? And I, I agree with that sentiment, but uh, to that I have to respond. Apple has internal dates that they hope to achieve, and if they don't meet them, it is delayed. Now, Apple may not have announced, and it's possible that the internal dates that leak aren't even accurate. Who knows? But uh, regardless, multiple reports earlier said that this project was on track to come out in 2020. Uh, now it is saying that uh, Apple has internally pushed it back to 2021, so that is delayed. Um, and I am sorry if you don't like that, but that's just the way it is. That's how well. And and Apple has said publicly in years past that they release a project when it's ready. Right. They don't mind holding something back until it's fully baked. And and you know to your point about there being internal dates, you know when when you work at a product manufacturer at a company that makes accessories, even for that matter, you you have dates that matter. Uh, now when you're Apple, you can release a product whenever you darn well please. Although you still have to be somewhat respectful of things that don't move, like the Christmas season or the back to school season or these things that that are peak shopping seasons, right? But when you are a, a smaller manufacturer, a smaller maker of things. Um, you're mindful of these dates. You're mindful of reset dates. Reset dates are when stores decide that they're changing out their stock and that they will, you know, put all new things on their pegs. And the buyers at those kinds of organizations buy things according to those reset dates, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to have all new things in spring. We're going to have all new things for April, let's say, so that we have all new things throughout the summer. And then we're going to have a fall reset along September, October. And we're going to have all new things for that for the Christmas shopping season. And so you have to have your product ready and work backwards so that your product is shipped to the United States, for example, and then shipped to a warehouse distribution center, and then shipped from that to the retailer's distribution center, and then from that shipped to stores. So you have to work backwards so you know exactly when your timeline is if you're going to be in stores properly. Mm -hmm. It's a very not in stores. 
you uh, several bad things happen. Right. Um, like, first of all, empty pegs. Empty pegs is a very bad thing, right? If you're meant to be on a store shelf and you're not there, um, first of all, the retailer is unhappy because they're losing money. And second of all, they fine you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you must have your product in on time. For Apple, if they have a date in mind, they're beginning to think not only about what their launch looks like, and what the product is going to look like and how they're going to ship it and how they're going to sell it and all of these things. But, but they're also thinking about what financial numbers look like as a result of those sales because they have to forecast a little bit. And forecasts are just predictions, right? You, see, you, you put your thumb in the air and you say, we think we're going to do this. But when you have a product, you, you, that's one of the things you take into consideration. Or else, why would you make it, right? Right. They, they have their own internal metrics, and they have a pretty good idea of, of how many they're going to sell and uh, how many they need to make. But they're not perfect. Um, a great example, that would be the iPhone SE. You still um, have a wait if you order that phone. And Apple just didn't see the demand for it being as great as it has been. They, even their own uh, internal numbers and all their infinite wisdom uh, could not uh, predict that they were going to need to build more phones than they were making. Oh, but Tim Cook's an ops guy. Are you saying Tim Cook got it wrong? <laughs> Someone got it wrong. I don't know if it was Tim Cook or somebody else, but clearly they weren't making enough phones. But, you know, Apple uh, is very careful about how they do this kind of stuff. They always draw down channel inventory um, and kind of will discreetly move products by having resellers sell them to discounts so they don't have to. Um, and they get stuff off the market uh, because they don't like having uh, stuff sit on store shelves for a while. That's not the way they do business. There you go. Speaking of how they do business, um, we, we've talked in the past about their expansion efforts into other markets, right? Opening up stores in China, trying to open up stores in India, Mr. Cook's visits to India. Mm -hmm. Well, the Indian market is in some ways a little bit like you know Brazil, where, where you have to have things locally owned or, uh, or have local part ownership in order to be able to open businesses in those countries. Right. Uh, and, and Japan is like that, too, in some respects. So in this case, the Indian prime minister's cabinet is intervening to allow local Apple stores in India. Yeah, it's one of those things where Apple has already announced um, uh, plans to have development centers and stuff in, t in the country, um, which is one of those things that is a good move for Apple to kind of localize and have apps built for a market that maybe, you know, the Americans that run the company aren't as familiar with. But also it appeases the local government and allows them to come in there and do business. Um, you see the same thing, like you said, in many other countries. Uh, Brazil uh, demanded that Foxconn set up uh, a factory there so they could make iPhones locally. Um, in China, um, Apple has been investing uh, there in local companies to appease the government. Uh, that gives them more ability to uh, come into countries and do business. Uh, and that's one of the prices that you have to pay when you expand internationally. Yeah, and I do want to be clear. The Indian regulations demand that a foreign single-brand retailer source 30% of their components locally. So it's it's not necessarily ownership, but it's it's that you do have to do something to support local industry. Right. They, they just want to make sure that anybody who's coming in and selling goods um, is bringing jobs there and not just selling goods. So that's kind of cool. And and they're not the only places getting new Apple stores, are they? 
Uh, no, we have one uh, opening here uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, in Brooklyn, this has been rumored for a long time um, and has been much needed, frankly. Um, it is in it'll be in Williamsburg, um, and which is a, a pretty uh, uh, younger, hipper neighborhood, I guess, of New York is the way that I would put it. Um, so not where you live. <laughs> it's uh, actually I didn't even realize this until I wrote a story about it today. It's actually I, I walked by it on my way to the gym. It's right by a grocery store around the corner. So it'll open up next Saturday. Um, it'll be the ninth store uh, in New York City. Uh, six of those are in Manhattan, uh, which the most the most recent one being the Upper East Side store that opened about a year ago. Uh, and then they have one in Staten Island and one at the Queens Mall. And so this will be the first in the borough of Brooklyn. And uh, it's big news here and uh, local. Well, congratulations. You'll now have your own Apple store and you'll be able to go and get genius appointments. I will probably go there for the opening uh, since it's nearby and we'll uh, stay tuned to Apple Insider and we'll have some photos and uh, people like to see uh, new Apple stores when they open. So uh, I'll go out there and snap some pictures for our readers. The the original Apple stores when they opened, you you they gave out cool stuff. They gave out um, they gave out gifts. They gave out T-shirts with the store name printed on them. I think they still do give out T-shirts to the first like uh, hundred people that show up or whatever. Um, but I still have my T-shirt from way back in two thousand two. I'm not really that interested in a T-shirt, but I'll go there when it opens and take photos. You know, for being the Apple Insider editor in chief, you're sure not passionate about this stuff. <laughs> T-shirts are a bizarre thing. Go to the store. What, is, man. what does a T-shirt cost? Like really, fifty cents maybe uh, to manufacture? Yeah, two two bucks, right? So. People will lose their their ever loving minds over a free T shirt. You go to a sports game and they so, have those cannons. So get the T shirt. People are losing their mind. It's a T shirt. Who cares? Get, get the T shirt and we'll give it away on Apple. I have never understood the passion that people have for are you free T shirts. I, I hear you. Um, All right. <laughs> I'm not going to go because if it's like the first hundred people or whatever in line, I'm going to have to get there a couple hours early to sit around and you get a free T shirt at two a.m. The way I was for the iPad launch. I am not doing that. Why were you there at 2 a.m. for the iPad launch? So you could get one? There was a line. I had to have two iPads the first day in 2010 that we had iPads. And I was out there with uh, – so you, you remember the musical act Kid and Play? Oh, yeah. I was out there with Play <laughs> at 3 a.m. in the morning in front of the Apple store. Were they filming the new house party? No, Chris Martin was not filming the new house party. He and I were talking all about iPads. It was pretty cool. That's, that's funny. I, I, I had my first iPad. Uh, we didn't even do the Charleston, man. But he was cool. I, I had my first iPad delivered to me. I did not have to go to the store for it, so that was good. <sighs> that's like my first iPhone. <laughs> I, I've only stayed overnight once for a product, and uh, it was uh, for an Xbox 360, and I was about was, to say Microsoft XP. But it was go ahead. at a it was at a Best Buy, and the Best Buy refused to say how many Xboxes they had. Uh, I waited in line overnight, uh, just hung out with a friend of mine. Uh, they opened the store the next day, and like five people in front of me, they ran out of Xboxes, and I wasted my entire night. Oh. After that, I said I am never doing anything like this again. It was not worth it. I bought an Xbox like three months later, and of course, because it was a horribly made product, uh, Red Ring of Death. A couple of years after that, buy another one. Yeah. So. Uh, no, I will never, ever, ever camp out for a product. Take, take heart, Neil. Take heart. When you go to camp out for an Apple product, Apple does this right. First of all, they they you, you can wait overnight in line, but when you when they open in the morning, before they an hour before they open, they hand out bottles of water. Right. They hand out cards where where you say 
what you want. I want an iPhone 128 gig. I want an iPad 64 gig, whatever it is, right? And they'll give you a card with that. They have as many cards as they have stock. So they know exactly where things are going with this. And, you know, I've, I've waited in line at one store while I called another store to find out if they had stock kind of thing. And, and so they, they stave off a lot of this disappointment that you felt. It's for a lot of uh, businesses and companies that do this kind of stuff where they don't let people know how many tickets they got. It's just a publicity stunt. It's a way to get a bunch of bodies standing out there. So somebody drives well, yeah, by they, and they go, Ooh, look at that. The Apple experience. Well, not just, except that Apple does it better Apple's because they know that you're going to get the thing. Apple's smart about it. Yeah. Like a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, – quote unquote free tickets to a concert at a venue here in Brooklyn called House of Vans and it's they all they do there is free shows it's just one of those things that Vans does the, the sneaker company for, for publicity and you, you could go onto an email list or whatever and sign up and it would say give you a free ticket so they sent me a, a thing for uh, for passbook uh, added to the wallet on my phone and they said your ticket does not guarantee entry um, we hand out a limited number of tickets but we also only let in a limited number of people so I got over there like two hours before the concert was to start and the line was all the way down the street like it was like 10 blocks long and i stood there for the next two hours just baking in the sun and then finally i was still at least five blocks from the venue and a guy came out with a megaphone and he's like uh just he's like nobody else can get in and it's like they there were way more people left standing out there than were even let into the venue but i mean it was clearly just a publicity stunt for them vans you know has this they don't sell tickets they do it for free and so they have the warp tour too Right. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's a a little different. This is an actual full venue. But I mean, really what it is, is people are driving by and they're asking what's going on here. What is this? And, you know, it's free publicity for them. That's why they do it. And so kudos to Apple for being good to the people that wait in line, because as somebody who had bad experiences waiting in line, whether for products or concerts or whatever, um, I can uh, attest to how frustrating and, and horrible of an experience it is. Yeah, definitely. Another horrible experience is is breaking the glass on your iPhone. <laughs> You'd agree that's a horrible experience. I would, I would agree, yes. I know you've never done it. I have never cracked the glass on my phone. I have never had a full cracked glass, but I have chipped the corners. I dropped a few phones and like dented the corners and stuff like that, but I never, ever broke the glass. Fingers I've had crossed. chips come out of the corners of the glass before. But, um, you know, it's always been something that I can deal with or, or get replaced or whatever, handle it. But that may be... A lesser thing in the future because Gorilla, the Gorilla Glass made by Corning has been used in the iPhone screen since 2007. Well, they're, they've got a new version of it, right? They're, they're continuing to evolve the product, mm-hmm. and their new product, according to Corning, survives up to 80% of the time when dropped face down from a height of 5 feet 3 inches. Yeah. It's, uh, onto rough surfaces. Not, not smooth surfaces, but rough surfaces. Pretty cool. Um, you know, all, all the time they announce this stuff and this glass is coming out and they say, you know, take a set, a set of keys to it and scratch it and stuff like that. And they, they always show how strong this stuff is. But somehow I always end up with scratches on my screen. I'll get little little scratches. I, I don't even I, I've made a habit of putting my keys in a separate pocket. Um, I started using a case with my phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I still end up with scratches on my screen. You can see those little fine scratches on, the, on it. And I don't know how they get there. How about one of those little uh, screen protectors, huh? I don't like that stuff. You don't like a glass screen protector? No, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to use a case with my phone. The only reason I use a case is because the phone's so big. But I have, uh, I have uh, scratch, little fine scratches on my Apple Watch. Wait, too. wait, you use a case for your phone because your phone is so big, so you make it larger with a case. It's so big that I'm liable to drop it. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. So I feel like I feel like I have to use a case with it because uh, the iPhone too big. six make and six S are uh, like a they're they're nice and slippery on your hand. So yeah. So I uh, I always put one of the glass screen protectors on. You know, I was in with bubbles happy. and stuff every every time I try to do that crap. What? So I gave up on it. What? When was the last time you tried this exercise? I don't have the fine motor skills to do this, Victor. I just can't. My hands shake too much. I can't do it. I I haven't had a bubble in a screen protector in like six years. Are you kidding me? I will I will send and I'm going to end up having to send you a couple of screen protectors and having you try and apply them to see if you can get good results. Because there are a couple ones that that make it easy to apply, and there are a couple ones that are really good with the the glass production. Uh, sure. I'll sort you out. Okay. I'll set you up, and then when I do, you can tell me if you thought they were any good, and then we can talk about them. Okay. Okay? Look, all, all I'm saying is I would much rather break a screen protector than break the phone. That's fair. That's all I'm saying. And, and you know, I like the idea very much that Gorilla Glass, that Corning is improving their product because that would be better. But um, but I, 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 for the foreseeable future, will probably be using a screen protector. I have a couple of favored ones. I'll send you one of each, and you can tell me what you think. Okay, sure. All right. Cool. And with that, that wraps up the Apple Insider Podcast. Neil Hughes, where can people find you on the internet? Well, uh, you can read what I have to write at appleinsider.com, and uh, you can yell at me on Twitter at thisisneil, N-E-I-L. And I'm Victor Marks. I'm at vmarks on Twitter, and I will be sure to yell at Neil Hughes on Twitter. (laughs) This is the Apple Insider Podcast. Thank you very much for listening.